0: Now that I've singled him out, he might as well go, huh? <laughs> all right. Well, the silly season is upon us. Seems like it's all too soon. The uh, the uh Campaign signs are, are sprouting up. I think it has something to do with the rain that we got recently. Somebody put a few uh, flyers out there on the ground, and when the rains came down, the signs just grow up and the political season and every every week we 're talking about the new possible front runner in this race or that and Well, for the presidential election we haven 't even gotten near a primary yet and yet we 're already talking about who 's in front and who might win and who might be the nominee and it just well, well, that's good for ratings, isn't it? It's, it's, it's good for conversation and, and to stir up the debates. And I don't know if you watched anything or heard anything about the last debate, but CNN, ahead of time, before this Republican candidate presidential debate, they said, oh, there's going to be some fireworks. They, they, their intention was, we're going to try to stir things up. We're going to try to provoke. We're going to try to see if we can instigate some clashes here because that's good. That's that's good ratings. That's good for watching. That's good entertainment. Well, I, I think some of you may know that I'm a little bit of a political junkie, certainly a news junkie. I love to follow the news, and I love to follow the ins and outs of what's going on. And uh, yeah, we can get carried away. We can get carried away, especially at this time of year. We can get caught up in the foolishness, and in the midst of that, we may not represent our Father well. What is it? What what should be our response to political authorities? How do we respond whether they're doing the things that we agree with and like or maybe they're not? How do we respond and how does that relate to how we represent our Father among these people all around us who need to know Him? The passage just before us today actually addresses that question, how should Christians relate to political authorities? There are two commands here that actually go very well together, that we need to be careful that we don't give in to our own humanity, and yet we do yield to in certain ways, we do subject ourselves to human authorities, human institutions, we don't give ourselves too much room or way and we do give some room, give some way to others. Those two go together as, uh, as Peter lays this out. And this is a big issue in the first century. It's a big issue because Christians were marginalized in society. They were suspect. They were odd, they were different. They did not buy into the values of the culture at large. Their values were understood to be different what they believed was not fully understood. Often it was misunderstood. It was caricatured. For instance, the Christians in the first century were often considered atheists. They were considered atheists because they did not believe in the gods. They believed there was only one God, so they didn't believe in the gods, so they were atheists. They were also, at times, characterized as cannibals because it was said that they got together and celebrated a dead man's flesh and blood, and participate in some sort of ritual meal around that. It was weird. And it seemed so primitive, so backwards, so hateful, uh, so, um, so intolerant of others. That's how first century Christians are perceived. And that's how Christians today can also be perceived we can be perceived as backwards, intolerant, primitive, holding on to things that don't fit anymore in the world in which everybody else lives. How do we relate? How do we get along? How do we relate especially to political authorities around us And when we, like our brothers and sisters in the first century, when we too are marginalized in a culture that doesn't believe the things that we believe, doesn't quite understand what we believe, then often is moving rapidly and aggressively in a contrary dire- direction. How do we? Well, Peter answers that question for us in um, in First Peter chapter two, and we'll be beginning at verse eleven. We'll read verse eleven through seventeen. First Peter chapter two. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, you'll find us, I think, on about page uh, one thousand fifteen. I encourage you to get a Bible out, open it up, uh, put your text in front of you, re- follow along as I read in First in Peter chapter 2 from verse 11. How should a Christian relate to political authorities? As the silly season begins, what should, what should um, guard or direct or influence our conversation? How we relate to others about this thing called politics. Ooh, am I really going to talk about politics and religion today? Right out in front of everybody? Oh, that'll be fun. Okay, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among the nations, among non-Christians, honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, on that day when Jesus comes to rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Lord, would you, Lord, open your word to us. Open us to it. Father, that we might willingly receive, that we might hungrily take in the truth of your word, that you would use it, Lord, to nourish us, to encourage us, to strengthen our souls. And Lord, also that you would direct us, guide us as to how we best represent you. How do we honor you in honoring the people around us? Lord, guide us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, how do we relate to political authorities around us? The first answer to that is found in verse 11. We relate. What is our image? What's the controlling metaphor? That we are sojourners and exiles. That we are temporary residents. We are here for a short time. This is not our home. We are only passing through. Don't invest too deeply. Hold in an open hand things that cannot last. Because we look for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. God has a promise set before us that we press toward, and yet we press toward that here. We are sojourners here. We will seek the peace of the of the city in which we find ourselves, as as Jeremiah told those exiles uh, from Israel who were in Babylon. We will seek for uh, the peace of the city that we find ourselves in. We will we will plant trees. We will we will seek for fruit to be born. We will take in a harvest. We will build houses. We will raise families. We will seek to add those into God's family. And yet we long for a better land. We understand that this world is not our home, that as Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven from where we look for our Savior who is coming that day of visitation. But we are sojourners, exiles, temporary guests in the world's temporary domain. In the world's temporary domain domain. Now, be sympathetic sympathetic to those who are in charge here. If you looked around, you've noticed it's a bit of a mess. They're they're accountable for what goes on. Uh, Be a little sympathetic, man. They have got a lot to answer for. Those who presume to lead. How will we relate to political authorities? First of all, it's interesting, the, 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 the first principle that he raises here is abstain from those natural human cravings which war against your soul, which wage war inside you against you. First thing he tells us is to watch out for what's in you, which will be contrary to God's will. In contrast to that, he says, having your conduct honorable, praiseworthy, so that even though they speak against you as evildoers, and they will, they will call evil good and good evil. Yet, seeing your good deeds. Remember when Peter and John were dragged before the Sanhedrin after they healed the crippled man? And they were told to give an answer for whose name were they doing these things in? And I love Peter's response here. He says, well, if we are being examined for a good deed done to a crippled man, first of all, is that a crime? What is wrong with that? What is wrong about this good thing we have done to a crippled man? This is a good thing. If you want to know why we ha- and whose name we did that, oh, well, let me tell you, that was in Jesus' name. This is something that we're happy to give him all the credit and all the glory for. And though they call evil good and good evil now, they will still give glory to God for the good that he has been working in you and through you when Jesus appears to establish his kingdom. When thy will be will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven, we will take our stand with humility and not arrogance, our conduct honorable and praiseworthy. We will take a stand with humility, not arrogance, that we will, well, let me put it this way. If we genuinely believe that those around us are going to have to answer before a just, And holy God, if we honestly believe that in and of themselves, every person is living under the plight of condemnation, and they're going to have to stand before God and answer, and they have no answer, if that answer is not Jesus Christ, who died for me, if that is their plight, are we happy about that? Or are we concerned for them? What comes across It can easily be a a, a mindset of of recompense or of vengeance or you're going to get what's coming to you. I praise God that I am not going to get what's coming to me, that I am a recipient of his grace in Jesus Christ. And that is my concern, that is my burden, that is my desire for people who now stand against me, against the Lord and against his Christ do I want God's vengeance against them or do, or do I share a concern for them? There's a big difference between warning somebody of the danger that is approaching and being happy about what they will soon face. See, if we live in fear of God, we fear for them. It's, it's not merely, you can't do that, you can't get away with that. It's more, my friend, I'm afraid you. Be careful, abstain, not giving in to what your natural humanity craves. What is it that your natural humanity craves? What do you think Peter's getting at? When I first read that phrase, I think of all kinds of evil things. And it's probably says something about what's in my own heart, that I can think of all of these evil things. Is, is, is he talking about greed or gluttony? Or is he talking about indulgences and immorality? What is Peter talking about when he says about those things that our natural humanity craves? The thing that Peter actually focuses on in this passage as a whole is not those normal areas of indulgence and immorality that we might think of. It's actually a tendency that is in each of us From very little to much bigger to have it our own way for us to be in charge. Look at verses 13 to 17 again. What I urge you as sojourners and exiles verse 11, rather to abstain from the passions of the flesh, the next command, the next um, imperative form that picks that thought up is this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now there's there's words that are mo that, that, that are woven all through this the this section together from 11 to 17. He keeps contrasting good and evil for instance that it's not it's not two different sections it's not two different thoughts he's developing first abstain yourself from certain things and then oh also be subject the thing about abstaining from these fleshly lusts that are within us is to be subject to be subject Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. There's a theological big picture here. Do you remember the issue in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3? What leads to the fall of man? There's just this one tree. All of this is for you, Adam. Just the one tree. Stay away. And Adam and Eve decided, with Frank Sinatra, they did it their way. (laughs) They said to God the same words that a little boy echoes to his pre-K teacher. That's the thing about being the husband of the pre-K director. I hear of these things. But, it, but these are things that are common to man when he says, you are not the boss of me. I the boss of me. <laughs> yeah, you can identify with that, right? Who are you to tell me what to do? Who is anybody to tell especially Americans, especially out here in the pioneering West, you think it's bad here, go to Alaska. Who are you to tell us what to do? Oh, go to Texas, goodness sakes. They got it bad out there. This is what our natural humanity craves, that we want to be the boss of me. My son in a a military academy down at Texas A&M, when he was going through school before he was commissioned, a, a, a military academy environment is very rigid. You know, somebody else is in charge of you. And he said to me once, he said, I don't mind somebody else running my life if they can run it better than I can. And he was finding out that, that people who were less mature than him, but who were over him and who outranked him, you work for anybody like that? didn't have the life skills that he had that could, ma- they couldn't manage his life better than him. And yet he's supposed to be subject to them and that grated at him, just like it does you. Yeah, I go to work on Monday morning and there they are. And who put them in charge and what were they thinking? And yet here it is. Now, let's not talk about the pastor and the church. We're talking about work here. We're not talking about the church. <sighs> This is the will of God, that by doing good, you may silence the ignorance of foolish people. They don't know. They misunderstand. And that good that God works in us, those glimpses of the glory of God in his image bearers are intended to show them something about God. That connects this command back to verses 11 and 12. The doing good is relating well to society and to its leaders. As much as lies with you, Paul says, be at peace with all men. It doesn't always lie with you, does it? You can't always be at peace. There's there's some tension in this passage. But as much as is with you, be at peace. Don't you be the cause of friction. Don't you be the cause of these difficulties that exist, this tug-of-war of wills in humanity. It was easy for Christians in Rome to be falsely accused of subversion. They were instructed to, to render such uninformed and misunderstood caricatures of what Christianity is about. They would render those unbelievable by a clearly unreproachable lifestyle. You see, the Roman authorities are writing letters back and forth, and we read some of those letters now. Those letters still exist, and we read them. And we find out they are scratching their heads. We don't get these people. They don't submit to our gods, and yet they don't rebel at all against the local authority or against the authority of Rome. And, and you know, they're, they're taking in orphans and they take in widows and they provide for the poor and they do all these things that our government does not. And they couldn't figure it out. What is it about these people what makes them do this? Freely they had received, so freely the early church gave they were not busybodies, busy into the affairs of others, but rather they were knowingly demonstrating God's grace in the midst of society. Verse 16 tells us a similar vein if we, as we run down there. Um, verse 16, live as people who are free, yet not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You know, it's interesting, Paul, on a mission journey, He's, he's arrested in Philippi and he's beaten mercilessly and then they're thrown in jail and it's only found, he's not convicted of anything yet and he's beaten to find out maybe what he might have done, right? And they throw him in jail and the next day, that's when he pulls out his Roman citizenship card. By the way, what you've done to me is not lawful. This is against the Constitution, he says. This is against the authority of Rome. The In fact, he, had, he was born a citizen. So he had a higher level of citizenship than the Roman commander who had ordered him beaten. Well, oh, oh, well, that's wonderful, Paul, but talk about a day late and a dollar short, huh? Why didn't he think about that the day before? I mean, Silas would probably sit here, thanks a lot, Paul. Why couldn't you have thought of this yesterday? You know why Paul didn't think of it yesterday? Paul did not use his rights to his own benefit. He was about to leave Philippi. That was the deal. Okay, can't you guys just leave? You know, can you guys just go, please? We don't want any more trouble with you or from you, so could you just move along? They'd already, they'd already established quite a, quite a church in Philippi, and they're going to leave those Christians behind. And if the authorities had been able to get away with bullying and mistreating them, then what would they do to these Christians who did not have the same Roman citizenship protection? So now, Paul's got something hanging over them. The way that they mistreated him will cause them to be doubly careful about the way that they might, against the laws of Rome, mistreat this Christian minority, this growing church within their midst. Paul pulls out his citizenship card not to claim his own rights, but to protect those that he's going to be leaving behind in that city. Do we use our own standing, whatever it might be, for our own advance, for the betterment of ourselves, or do we use it, do we leverage it in ways that defend the rights of others? If I have been wronged, will I sue to get my due, or will I let it go? But should I sue if it's necessary in order to protect the rights, what, of just Christians? Should I sue in a certain case, in order to protect the rights not merely of Christians, but essential freedoms that everybody ought to have. The freedom of a free conscience, for instance, to live according to your faith, that we want everyone in this country to have because that's the only way by which the Christian church has always, for instance, supported the freedom of conscience and the not compelling somebody to do that which they, we've never wanted to compel anybody to faith in Christ. When, quote, the religious church did that, it was wrong. It was, it was an abomination to God because God doesn't ever force believers. No, those who come to God are brought by the drawing of His Spirit. And, and we can only have genuine faith when we have an environment where freedom of conscience exists. So we will pursue rights, not for our own sake, for our own benefit, but we'll pursue rights and freedom of conscience when that upholds the freedom that everybody ought to have. Now, a careful reading of of, of, of verse 14. If we go back to verse 14, it assumes that government is going to do what's right, that government is going to do what is good. Be subject for the Lord's sake to human institutions or human creations. That's what the word is. The the word institution there is the same word that's used of creation. Interesting little aside. Whether it's the emperor as supreme. Now, hold on. Is the emperor supreme? Is Nero supreme? Is Nero higher than any other? Oh, you look like you're not sure. No, he's not. We just sang who's higher. Our God is greater. Our God is higher than any other. Emperor's not supreme. What the? What? I thought the Bible said here that, that the emperor is supreme. No, he's supreme in terms of human institutions. Could it be, really, that there are institutions that are above? human institutions, that God's authority is actually above human institutions, human creations, and human authority, so that when push comes to shove, I must obey God rather than man. Yes, I should be subject to local authority. I should be subject to political authority. God has ordained that, and yet God has not just given everything over to them. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that the king is still king? Aren't you glad that the Lord still reigns? so that we can willingly submit. We can hold our own rights and open hands because our God is greater than any other. And yet, so the emperor as supreme and to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, that's the way it's supposed to work. And we benefit not only ourselves but we benefit society as a whole when we pursue government, when we participate in government, when we vote and when we are engaged and when we when we ask questions and when we hold uh, our officials accountable as we should. Society benefits from that, not merely myself, not merely Christians, but society as a whole should benefit from that. One of the good things you can do for your neighbor and for the people around you is to do our part in participating that we do have a good government. Government is supposed to be that way. Government is supposed to do good, but that raises its own questions, doesn't it? What if government does not do good? What if government actions actually oppose what God said is good or promote that which God says is evil? Let me give you a very extreme example. What about, Diet- what about Dietrich Bonhoeffer in uh, the uh, early era of the Nazis? when uh, he warned against this new government that, he, that had emerged and the tendencies of it and the tyranny to which it would lead and did lead. And he became an enemy of the state and he was imprisoned. He was eventually um, executed before, just before the death camp that he was in was, um, was, was freed by the allies, was liberated. They purposely executed him first so that he would not survive. Would we take a stand like bond? There are times when I cannot subject any longer. You see, subject is not the same as obey. He doesn't say here, obey man's institutions, no matter what. He does say that we are subject to them in their authority, but there is a higher authority. You see this in the military. When I was in the military, when I was in the air force, I was sworn to obey every order, You military people, is that how it goes? No. I was sworn to obey every lawful order. In fact, I must resist a clearly unlawful order. If somebody were to to give me an order in my chain of command to give me an order to participate in some treasonous act, I could not go along with them. In fact, I must stand against them and I must oppose it. I obey every lawful order. We have uh, at various levels of government, we have these laws that are meant to protect whistleblowers, that they do not continue to go along with those whom they work under, those that they are subject to. If there's malfeasance or something wrong going on, they're not supposed to go along with it, and there's supposed to be a way to protect them, for them to resist it. So we don't just obey blindly. To be subject is not the same as to obey Not necessarily a willing accomplice. There's an example in Daniel 3. I don't know if you're familiar with the story in Daniel 3. There were these three friends of Daniel. The four of them are mentioned together in Daniel chapter 1, and they all resisted, and they all asked, you know, we can't eat this meat. It's been sacrificed to idols. We can't participate in that. There's food here that's unclean, that's against the law of Moses. We cannot eat these things. Could we eat just grains and vegetables instead? And that ended up doing, and God's favor was upon them, and he blessed them in that, and it's a wonderful story of standing for God's truth in the midst of of an antagonistic environment and culture. But then you get over to Daniel chapter 3, and now they are officials in the king's government. They are part of government, and all the officials in the king's government are told when the music sounds and when the band plays, they're to bow down to this golden idol of King Nebuchadnezzar. an interesting thing, in chapter two, the King Nebuchadnezzar has a has a dream. And in his dream, there's a there's this statue, and this statue is Gold at the top, and then it's silver, and then it's bronze, and then it's, it's another metal, and iron at the bottom. And and this statue represents four different empires. Babylon is the empire of gold, but Babylon's going to be replaced by the next empire, the Persian empire of silver. Silver is going to be replaced by the bronze empire. That, empire repre- that bronze represented Greece. And so Babylon is now, but Babylon will not last. So after the dream, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon orders a statue built. It probably resembled himself. And the statue is not gold and silver and bronze. The statue is gold. What is Nebuchadnezzar saying? I'm going to be king and my kingdom will be forever. My kingdom, he says, the gold kingdom will endure So it's 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 absolutely contrary to what God has revealed to him graciously, and everybody now is supposed to bow to this image that he has made, agreeing with him and probably recognizing his divinity at the same time. And these three friends of Daniel won't do it. They say, "No, King, we're not going to do it." They don't run and hide. They don't resign their offices either. I mean, you're in government, you know. I mean, if you're sworn to obey the king, so if you're not going to obey the king, well, golly, I guess you should resign your position. Well, they didn't. They said, king, we can't do that. Oh, king, live forever. We, king, we're, we're, we, we want to serve you honorably and faithfully, but this we cannot do. We serve the God in heaven. And whether he saves us from your hand or not, we are willing to take the consequences for that which we cannot and will not do. And so he throws them into the furnace. His guards die. They live. There's actually four in the furnace. One is like the son of God in there with them. And they call him back out. And they don't even smell like smoke. God does deliver them. It's a wonderful story. But the point is they stood In the face of government authority, they chose, even as Peter and John said to the council when they were called on the carpet, they said, you tell us which is right. Should we obey man rather than God? Is that what you're going to tell us to do? We must obey God rather than man. That worked for the apostles? It works for us. There will be times when we will have to choose but if it's not one of those times, things that we can, we will hold in an open hand. There are priorities, and he, he, he specifies, what do I mean when I say, be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution, that this is the will of God, that by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of fooling, foolish people. That we live as people who are free, not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Servants of God serving others. What does it look like? The passage closes with four commands. There's the one command in verse 13, be subject. It's, it's expanded by four commands, very short commands in verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Now, in these, there's the social, everyone, social relationships. There's the ecclesial, the church relationships, love the brotherhood. There is a spiritual dimension, fear God, that's individual, that's personal. There is a political, honor the emperor. There's a priority here. To love is greater than to honor. Honor everyone, but love the brotherhood. Do good unto all men, Paul says, but especially to those of the household of faith. There's a priority, family first. So there's a priority in these relationships. There's a priority also between, in that tension between the the emperor on the vertical sphere, there's the emperor, but then there's God. You fear God and on the basis of fearing God, you honor the emperor. Honor is lower than fear. And and think about this, use the same words for the emperor as what else? Honor everyone, honor the emperor. We don't make the, the supreme leaders or rulers the highest officials in our government. We realize there is an office there that has authority that is rightly so, and yet they're people too. They are people just like us. They are fallible just like us. I was stunned when I came across a 1927 Supreme Court ruling that on using the basis of the accepted practice of vaccinations being imposed on society at large because they're good for society as a whole, they use that basis to determine that a young, I think she was 17-year-old girl, who was in a foster home and had been raped by the nephew of her foster parents, but in order to keep that hidden, keep that secret, they claimed to the authorities that she had become pregnant because she was feeble minded and could not control herself and so, in that day, it was legal in states to go before to be have the case presented by a state board, and that state board could decide that this person, because they are feeble minded and we don 't want their their offspring to continue in society and do all kinds of horrible things, we should sterilize them, that they would never bear children. And that's what they did. The Supreme Court upheld that case. It wasn't close. It wasn't five to four. It was eight to one. Eight to one. Our authorities will not always get it right, folks. Never put the, uh, the, the, the level of, well, it must be right, the Supreme Court said so, or the Congress voted, or the President said, that is not the same as God said ever. We honor the emperor even as we honor everyone. And we honor those who are in office because we are grateful for the order. We do not want chaos in society. We do not want anarchy any more than we want tyranny. So we honor everyone. We love the brotherhood. We fear God, and so we honor rulers. Let me unpack those, those, those four briefly. Honor everyone. Take care of, it, it means to take care, to honor your parents is to provide for your parents in their own, own age. Remember the commandment, honor your father and mother? Well, Jesus applied that in, the old, in, in their old age, that you honor your mother and father by providing for them rather than using your money for your own advancement. It's, it's used to provide for, to honor true widows. It's um, Paul was honored when Christians provided, when he had been arrested, they provided for him everything that he needed. They honored him as a brother. To honor everyone is also to, to participate in their needs. It referred to compensation or pay. It refers to giving the boss his due. Honor your master or your boss by by, by, by working honorably? To treat people with respect as a creation of God. You go to a restaurant. Do you, do you engage the, the, the server, the waiter, the waitress with, with kind words? Or do you have, have an attitude of expectation that I'm here, I'm paying the bills, I'm ordering, these are my dollars, boy, you better, you better treat me right and respectfully and honor me. Do you interact with that person as one who's been made in the image of God. This is a person for whom Jesus died. Do we respect people around us, whether they are Christians or not, in that way? We honor everybody as these are those God made, these are those God loves. If you're in business, two things should characterize the way that you as a Christian honor anybody that walks through the door. That you will you will. Conduct yourself with integrity. You can be trusted. You will conduct yourself in truth and you will value those who come to you because Jesus esteems these two things. Jesus is the truth and Jesus died for the world. Jesus died to uphold God's truth in justice and mercy and also because God so loved the world. People that come into your business are not merely possible prophets. We serve them for their sake. What has God given me to do that will also meet a genuine need that this person has? We honor everyone. We love the brotherhood. Find ways to encourage and remind your brothers and sisters of Christ of who they really are, of God's love, of his mercy, of his care for them. It's one thing to tell somebody that, oh, the Lord will provide. It's another thing to be the anonymous one through whom God's provision comes to them. Could you give time for somebody even today? Would you, will you linger after church and encourage somebody? Maybe take the time to listen to them what's really going on. Would you take the time maybe to pray with them about something that's happening in life? Will, we'll, before, before you leave here this morning, some of you will go by Sean Wood, and he's having his birthday this week, and you'll tell him, Sean, happy birthday. Will we encourage one another? Will we take the time to take someone out for lunch? And here's a deal for you. Seriously, is there somebody here that you've seen? I'd like to get to know them better. Who are those people? What about if you said, hey, let's go out to lunch? My treat. Tell you what, some of you, the budget's tight. You're not you'd love to do that, but you're not sure how you'd do that. Tell you what, we'll pay. You grab somebody you don't know and you want to get to know better, and you want to go to lunch, go to lunch. Bring the receipt back. We'll reimburse it. So much I want to see that happening within that church that we, we have actually budgeted for that. I don't know if you read the budget before you voted on it, but we did. <laughs> this church will be strengthened as we do that kind of thing together. So if we have to seed it a little bit, if we have to help get it started and help provoke it, it'll take off from there, but go ahead, do that. Grab somebody, and if the budget is tight, that that the church helping that happen would make it happen, do it. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the empire emperor, fear God. Cornelius in Acts 10 said he feared God. How did everybody know that? He gave generously to others, he prayed continually. Fearing God is doing what what God says. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I first heard that verse when I was 17 years old. And man, talk about a smack on the forehead. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That's the sermon. That's it. We're done. Wow. It's a good question. I don't have an answer, Jesus. I can't say. One way to fear God is to honor to pres- honor the present political powers appropriately. Now, appropriately means don't expect them to do what only God can do. Don't expect them to be what only God can be. Don't be too disappointed with them in their failures and don't look to them. You know, Christian evangelicals, conservatives for years have expected one party or another to deliver the goods for them and to carry the water for them and to do the things that they expect them to do by faith when they don't necessarily share the same faith. And they were so disappointed when the political parties or political persons let us down. Not one party or another is my hope. I've got issues with both of them. And yet I'm going to make my choices and I'm going to participate. I'm not going to withdraw and say that's somebody else's mess. No, I've got to. I've got to participate. One of the ways that I fear God and one of the ways that I honor the the emperor is to participate in the process in the right ways that we have been given to do. Society will be better if we do participate and vote thoughtfully and prayerfully. There's an election coming up and we should participate in it. We must participate in it. Thoughtfully and prayerfully, realizing that some issues matter for others. There are some social issues that God's will is clear on and and for me, they trump everything else. I don't have time to develop all that this morning, but for me personally, issues that offend God's moral character are more important to me than issues of taxation and economic benefit. Life and death trumps social generosity every time. In my view, there are times, oh, here we go. The silly season has started. Politics is already uh, um, um, on the table for discussion. Some of you write letters. Some of you post on Facebook. When you do, be thoughtful, not reactionary. What does your post, what does your rant say about your faith or lack of it? When we post, when we write, when we discuss, when we around others at work hold forth our political views, are you making a case for the good of society as a whole or for what you want because they are not the boss of me? Am I demanding my own way or preference or am I showing respect? Don't insult, don't name call. Show respect for the office and for the God-ordained role of a governing authority. Last of all, there are going to be issues of civil disobedience. There are going to be times when I don't obey. There are going to be times when subject still means that I'm also subject to a higher authority and I cannot go along with this. I will have to draw the line. I will have to say respectfully, I decline. I cannot do that because, like we heard last week, A little girl at school could not bow to that Buddhist shrine that the monk had brought into the classroom because she said, I and my family, we believe in Jesus and we can bow only to him. There'll be times that because I bow to Jesus, I can't bow to somebody else's command or desire or wish. Perhaps Daniel's friends, or Daniel himself in chapter 6, when he's commanded that he can no longer pray, that doesn't stop him from praying. He's going to be arrested, but that doesn't stop him from praying. He will continue to pray. He will continue to honor God. He will fear God, and in that way, honor man who's been created in God's image. Perhaps Jeremiah, when he's jailed because of his witness for the truth of God's word, that this is what God has said, whether you like it or whether you don't, and he's thrown in jail because of it. He does not withdraw what he said. He does not recant what he said, even if that would cause him to be released. Maybe that, that tells us something, informs us in some way about issues of freedom of speech that we must have in the public square. Christian consumers in a town called Ephesus, they turned the marketplace upside down by what they would no longer buy because the change that the gospel wrought in their hearts meant that nobody was interested in buying these little idol shrines any longer. That's what we work for. That's what we labor for. And we will pray for our rulers, we will pray for our leaders, that we might live in peace and be able to represent our Lord Jesus well. We want them ultimately not to be conformed to our standards of morality on the outside while they still are like the Pharisees inside full of dead men's bones. No, we want God to do his work. On my neighbor, my friend, my Elected official. We want God to do his work on the inside. And maybe some willingness on my part to sacrifice my own good for the sake of others. Maybe that would show something of the sacrifice of Christ for us to them. And God will be glorified. And here's the promise in the passage. Even if they don't honor it now, that testimony of doing good, of sacrificing our right, and of laying aside our own desire to have things our way, our willingness to lay that aside, even if it's not recognized now, will be known and will be declared in the day of His coming. And they will glorify God because of it. You might not see it yet. But it'll be there. So that's where we'll invest. That's where we'll determine. That's where we'll live. Lord, when I'm pushed between the two, I'm going to serve others rather than myself. I'm going to do good to all, especially to this household of faith. I'm going to linger here today, and I'm going to encourage somebody. I'm going to talk about issues and ways that are better for society as a whole. I'm going to pray for my leaders and be subject to the extent that I can, fearing God, honoring man. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you set before us the opportunity to worship in real life. Lord, you've gathered your church here to worship and to sing your praises now, and we do that. And Lord, because we do that in here, let us do that out there. Father, would our lives, would the way that we respect others, would the way that we honor everyone also show something of your grace and mercy. Lord, thank you that we can worship freely. And with, no matter the restrictions that we feel might be placed upon us, no matter the hindrances, no matter the, the um no matter the ridicule, the disdain that might be heaped upon us. Father, because we fear you, we, like Jesus, can bear all of that. Would you give us the courage to do so? Would you give us the courage still in the midst of that to still love others and to honor them as those whom you value so much that you love them and your son died for them? This we pray in Jesus' name.